speak to us tonight through your word, through Patty, the message that you have for us. Lord, we are excited about this fall and excited to see what you're going to have for us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. too crazy? We are still in a church. No. <laughs> Celebrate! Yahoo! Okay, this post-disco, aren't you glad there's such a thing as post-disco, upbeat dance song by Cool and the Gang reached the number one on the Billboard charts in February of 1981 although it only held it for two weeks because it was then ousted by Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. <laughs> Celebration doesn't go away. Aren't you glad 9 to 5 did? <laughs> Those of you who know it. By the late 80s, Celebration reached number one on both Billboard's dance and rhythm and blues charts. It also became an international hit. And num reaching number seven in the United Kingdom and staying there for quite a while. And here we are, 35 years later. Many of you have been born since this time, and yet you've heard this song your whole life. 35 years later, it is arguably one of the most popular songs of celebration. It's played anywhere. There is something about which to dance. In fact, there are celebrations that if they do not play that song, somehow you go home missing something. It just was just missing something. So no one close to Cool in the Gang, what a great name too, right? No one close to Cool in the Gang was surprised by the song's popularity. The lead singer, J.T. Taylor, said that his mom predicted it. Good old moms, we're good at that. She, she told J.T., you're going to play this song for the rest of your life. <laughs> so get ready. My guess is J.T. is very tired of it. But why? Why has this song become such a part of our American culture and beyond? And I believe it's because it taps into something within the human spirit. We have a longing to celebrate. In fact, throughout the ages, it is our celebrations that shape us as a culture. If you look at what any culture celebrates, what is most important to that culture, and you can see how that culture is actually shaped by those celebrations. This fall study is intended to be a celebration, a celebration to shape us. To taste and see that the Lord is good. To discover that blessed is the woman who finds her refuge in him. There is going to be a party going on right here. Woohoo! A celebration to last throughout the years. 
And I pray it'll be a dedication that will last throughout the years. So to set the table, pun intended, to set the table for what we will be experiencing this fall. Okay, somebody laugh. Get it? Set the table. Tables and chairs. Wake up. All right, good. To set the table for what we'll be experiencing this fall, I want us to consider three things. I want us to consider the pull of celebrations, the power of celebrations, and how, the, how this pull and this power have been intended by God to point us to the celebration for which we were created. So let's pray. Father, thank you for celebration. Thank you for what you want to show us about your heart that is a heart that longs for us to celebrate with you and for how that can shape us for your glory and our joy. Oh, Lord, tonight as we begin this journey, may we taste and see that you are good. May this just be the first course of eight courses of seeing how amazing, incredible, wonderful you are, how blessed is the woman who takes refuge in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, first, let's look at Celebration's poll. Did you know that you were shaped through a celebration? True. Our creation, the creation of the first man and woman, our creation is the outcome of a party. It is the outcome of a celebration. Interesting song fact on the song celebration. Cool and the Gang sax player Ronald Bell told Billboard magazine that the celebration song came out of a time of religious study. The initial idea came from reading the Quran. He said, I was reading the passage where God was creating Adam and the angels were celebrating and singing praises. That inspired me to write the basic chords and the line, everyone around the world, let's celebrate. Although Bell's source, the Quran, is not the true word of God, the true word of God does tell us that our creation was a celebration. Historical fact, Genesis, from the word of God, Genesis 1, 26a and 2, 7, then God said, let us, Father, Son, Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. I learned something years ago that completely transformed how I saw Christianity. And it was a, a, a teacher by the name of Daryl Johnson at Mount Hermon, and he said, at the center of the universe is a relationship, and is a relationship of love between a father and a son, and a relationship of love so strong it embodies a person, the Holy Spirit. And it is out of that love relationship that we were birthed, that God formed us and breathed that very life into us so we could join that relationship between the Father, Son, and the Spirit C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity puts it this way, in Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. That's what we were created out of, and that's what we were created for. Timothy Keller in his book, King's Cross, says, you were made to enter into the divine dance with the Trinity. Just let that sink in, ladies. That is a celebration. That is a celebration. We were shaped through a celebration, and we were placed, 
for celebration in paradise, to join that dance, to join that feast that happens between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to what we were given. Listen to the party of Genesis 1, 28, 29. And God said to them, that first man and woman, be fruitful and multiply. There's a party. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Wow, talk about a party. You've got romance, you've got food, you've got hunting, you know, you've got it all gathering, sports. It was God's table. It was the Feast of Eden. It was paradise. It was a provision for unending joy, completeness. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat out of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. His table, his feast, a provision for unending joy. But provisions for unending joy must have their parameters, right? And Adam and Eve decided to feast from a different table. In Cademan's Call, The Dance, they capture this very well. Adam and Eve danced in Eden's environs, early in Earth's morning air. They know the animals, they named the animals musical names, glorious potentiality shared. But Lucifer sang out a serpentine song and offered death's dance as a token. And pausing to listen, Adam missed his step. Earth's harmony in the dance broken. Refusing, walking away from the table that God had provided, creating a feast for himself with an apple, the man and the woman were displaced. The dance was broken, paradise lost. Sin and sorrow entered in. And in his mercy, God does this beautiful thing in Genesis where he sends Adam and Eve out of paradise. That sounds like a punishment, but it was his mercy. He no longer wanted them to eat of the tree of, 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 of everlasting life. He didn't want them to live forever in sin and sorrow. So he drove them out. But, we, but before he did, God promised to make a way to restore paradise lost, to bring them back to his table. We, as Adam and Eve's children, wait. And as mankind waits, there is something that pulls us towards celebration because it's an echo of our creation. It's a God-created pull towards celebration. And it shapes us. As you talked about in your small groups, what we celebrate, what we don't celebrate, how we celebrate, define us, creates a culture. It's very powerful in our lives. Celebration has a pull on us, and celebration is powerful. We have places for celebration in our lives and in our hearts. We have calendars that we place on them, things that we value, things and people we value. You know, you get the calendar. Maybe you get it from the guy who's selling things down the street, and so it's got all the national holidays in red, and those are the things our culture tells us to celebrate. But what do we do with that calendar? We pop on it. Well, we do in our electronics now. We pop into there our things what we value, what we center our lives around, what we work around, what we anticipate, what we get excited about. 
Our celebrations are about belonging, identity, remembering who we are. They may be holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, reunions, vacations, births, memorials. They establish family cultures, city cultures. They reinforce it and they shape it. I will never forget my first Christmas alone, completely alone. We did Christmas sort of big. It was a little stressful in my house. My parents moved out of the country when I was 18, and I was on my own right away, starting college. And that first Christmas, I had a pretty serious boyfriend, and I thought I was part of his family. They were very kind to me. They included me Sunday brunches and all that kind of stuff. But when it came to Christmas, I was not welcome because they had their culture, their family, their way they did things. And I was alone. And after 18 years of celebrating a certain way, being completely alone, that changed Christmas for me. It changed how I anticipated the Christmases to come. I no longer expected things to be a certain way. How I approached the holidays in the years that follow changed. Our celebrations have an impact on us. Our lack of celebration has an impact on us. Us being excluded from a celebration has an impact on us. It shapes us. Our ongoing celebrations are so much a part of who we are that when we don't feel like celebrating something we're supposed to celebrate, we know something is off, right? Like, I know I should be excited about this, but I'm not excited about this. I don't want another birthday, and it's not just because I don't want to get older. I don't feel like celebrating. Something is off. We know something is off. When the holidays roll around and you begin to feel dread instead of excitement, when a wedding anniversary comes and you'd rather forget it or you have apathy towards it or dread. We may be too tired, we may be busy, but it, a lot of times it's more. A lot of times underneath that lack of wanting to celebrate, whether it's family reunions or whatever it is, is anger, jealousy, strife, loss. All of these drain the party out of me. Do they drain the party out of you? How about birthdays for a child that is not developing? I have a 24-year-old daughter who never developed to the age of one. And every birthday that came, and she consistently only developed to about, I don't know, eight, nine months of age, 12 months of age, and it would be her fifth birthday, and it's her sixth birthday. And every age, she was further and further behind. How about anniversaries of a marriage in which the vows have been broken? Memorials when words were left unsaid. Forgiveness was withheld. The dance is broken. Sin has entered the world. It has entered us. Yet, something in us wants to celebrate again, wants to hope even in the midst of pain, wants to fight against the brokenness within us and within this world. Jeanette mentioned um, our Central Asian sisters. Each of you have one on your table that I hope you will pray. We, they, we call them our sister, part of our sister-to-sister -sister community. They're women leaders in the underground church in Central Asia. And we've been privileged for the last, I don't know, eight, nine years now to spend time with them yearly, to teach and train and encourage them and to learn from them. It's an ongoing relationship that is marked by emails and Skyping at times. And one of our leaders in Kyrgyzstan cried out to Michelle and I recently and said, please pray for my 10th anniversary. I don't want unmet expectations to create distance between me and my husband. I don't want problems to arise. Could you just pray for me to have the right kind of celebration and the right kind of expectation? And some of you who are married are like, yeah, I can relate to that prayer request. But what you need to know is what happens at 10 years in Kyrgyzstan. At the 10-year anniversary, you are no longer a wife. You are the mom, and your husband takes another wife.
She has to fight her culture. She's, she's a minority. She's a very small minority of Christians in a culture that is vastly different than what she's trying to establish in her home. And this young generation of new believers in Central Asia who have to fight against this culture that they have lived with all their life. And when you're first young and married, that's easy to say, I'm only going to have one wife. But after you've been married 10 years and all your friends are having second and third wives or mistresses, the pressure's on. And so she cried out to us. She said, I don't want to miss the party. I want to fight against my heart's fears, against my culture that it tries to shape me and shape my husband. She cried out to Michelle and I to remind her and her husband of the culture they now belong to, that they're in a new family, that they have a new identity, and they are being shaped by a new people. And she is a picture of where our study begins in the Feasts of Israel. Our study begins when God hears the cries of a displaced people who've lost their identity after 400 years of living in a culture much like Kyrgyzstan. They have been enslaved in Egypt. And through his servant Moses, God remembers his people. And he would not only deliver his people from being displaced, but he would make them a nation. He would set them apart distinct. He would make them a people that would be dependent on him and intimate with him. They would be shaped into a nation through which the entire world would one day be blessed, a nation through which he would send the deliverer. It was a celebration promised. Through Moses, God didn't just deliver his people from slavery, as we are going to see in our study this fall. He created a culture with them. Deuteronomy 7, 6, he tells his people as he is bringing them into a new land, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. After 400 years of a slavery, can you imagine generation after generation after generation of no holidays, no celebrations that have anything to do with anything meaningful? Any celebrations that happened in Egypt, they were probably excluded from and probably for good reasons. They would have wanted to be. They were shaped by a culture of injustice, oppression, superstition. Every kind of evil and sensuality marked the Egyptian culture. And God brought his people out of them. He brought them into a new land, and he instituted a new calendar and a new day and a new life. A new life that was punctuated by seven feasts. Seven celebrations. As Richard Shepard writes in the study we will be looking at, these feasts were a call to seek God corporately. And in seeking God in certain feasts ushered in a period of spiritual awakening. A new day, a new people, not a perfect day or a perfect people, but changed. These seven feasts that we're going to be looking at were a call for Israel to taste and see that the Lord is good. They were more than that, though. They were a foretaste. They were, each feast was a foretaste of how good God is and the good plan he had set before time to bring us back into the dance. Though Adam walked away from that table, God had prepared another table God would provide again a place at his table. The feasts of Israel would shape Israel's daily life. Each would be a hint, a clue of the one who is coming. A taste to whet their appetites and build their anticipation and their excitement. 
What Israel didn't fully realize is how each feast, and this is what we will see, pointed to the sending of God's own son. He set apart a people for himself distinct so that through that people, he would send his son, the perfect one who died so that we could be like him. And what we will see in this feast is that each one points to him. Passover, the first feast we will study. This week will be an introduction to all the feasts. Then we will get, jump into them. Passover, the first feast we will study, points to Jesus' death and the forgiveness of sins Israel needed and we need. Unleavened bread points to Jesus' burial. First fruits point to his resurrection. The feast of Pentecost to the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Feast of Trumpets points to the spreading of the gospel and the great day of Jesus' return. The Feast of the Atonement defines what it really means to be saved and give us that assurance that we are saved, that Jesus is enough. The Feast of Tabernacles is about how God dwells with us for his glory and our joy. Each of these satisfied a hunger for Israel, and each of these will satisfy a hunger for us far greater because we know the one to whom they point. What we're going to see in our study is that when Israel consistently celebrated, the feast shaped them for his glory and their joy. When they didn't, the culture shaped them to their destruction. Through our study, how much more will we be shaped? How much more should we be shaped? These promises have become true and fulfilled in Jesus. We have seen what Israel could never have imagined, that God through them would send his own son, that God's own son, who was there at creation's dance, would take on flesh, that he would come and he would walk this earth and he would celebrate each of these feasts and then fulfill each feast through his life and his death and his resurrection. That, ladies, this is the most fascinating. I did not know this. I have been a Christian for over 35 years, and I did not know this. Did you know that the majority of Jesus' words and works while he was during his earthly ministry surrounded the feasts? Just look at the Gospel of John. Over two-thirds of the verses in the Gospel of John take place during the feasts, Jesus' words and works, and it was intentional. This is huge. This is why John Satima writes, a biblical commentator, you cannot really comprehend what it means that Jesus is Messiah without knowing something about the feasts. Paul writes in Colossians 2.17 about the feasts, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. God sent Jesus to live the life that Adam didn't, to give us the life that Adam couldn't. Jesus tasted the death that we deserve so we could taste the life that we don't deserve. 1 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what happened at the cross. And for each of us, the feast is a, a reminder, each feast is a reminder that our being a new creation by faith in Jesus' life and death, creates a celebration whereby the angels are celebrating. Another fact about the celebration song, it was played to welcome 52 freed American hostages in 1981. Imagine those families. 
when those hostages came home, those families who thought their loved ones were gone forever, these 52 freed American hostages, the song celebration played. I just can't even imagine what that song means to, meant to those families after that. But guess what happens when you place your faith in Jesus Christ? I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. As great as that day might have been for those families when those hostages were freed, the day you placed your faith in Jesus Christ was far greater because all of heaven celebrated, rejoiced over you. Because of Jesus, our relationship with our creator that began as a feast will now end as a feast like no other. It will not end in the destruction that we deserve. And instead, it will end in a feast we cannot imagine. The marriage supper of the Lamb, it's called in Revelation 19, where God himself will wipe away. Imagine God's hand that created us, that breathed life into us, that, us, that celebrates us, that the angels rejoice with when we come to him. He himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Talk about celebrate. Talk about a party going on. Not to just last throughout the years to last for all eternity. That the promises of these feasts are fulfilled in Jesus doesn't mean we don't need to know them. It means we do need to know them. That the promises of these feasts are fulfilled in Jesus doesn't mean we don't need to know them or know about them, but that we do. Ladies, I have gone from, why are we learning the feasts? <laughs> to why have I never learned about the feasts? I wish this was my first Bible study I'd ever done as a Christian. I really do. I spent the early part of the summer, or the majority of the summer, writing a study on the parables. No, probably there's no more captivating passages of Scripture than Jesus. He's a master storyteller, the parables. And I was fired up to do the parables in the fall, and I got overridden. And we're going to do the feasts in the fall first. And I cannot tell you, after I've been studying the feasts, I am so glad we are doing the feasts first. Because the feasts tell me all about the one who told those parables. Those parables are going to take on a life and a meaning that I didn't get, even though I spent a bazillion hours writing about them. Oh, yes, I have gone from why are we learning about these feasts to why have I not learned this before. Today, ladies, there is a feast before us of the feasts. The table is set. A place is there for you. A place is there for me. But I'm going to give you a heads up. It's unusual. A couple things about this study. It's unusual, it's unfamiliar, and it will be unending. No, it's unusual and it's unfamiliar. First of all, it's un unusual. This study is unusual for sister to sister. I'm going to lay it out there. Typically, we do a book of the Bible. I love teaching a book of the Bible. I think it's the right way to do it. Expositional teaching is what they call it. I totally believe in it. In context, verse by verse, yes, amen, so be it. But what we can forget is that this is one story. One story. Divided in two parts, an Old Testament and a New Testament. 66 books, dozens of authors, over 1,500 years. And because it's written by God's hand, there are threads. And they all point to Jesus. 
John Satima again, the Bible's grand diversity is held together by a golden thread, a single plot in three movements, creation, fall, redemption. This is unveiled in its first few pages. The plot establishes the crucial backstory to the coming of Jesus Christ. When I was first a Christian, I'd been a Christian maybe not even a couple years, I got to go on a short-term missions trip to Senegal, West Africa with New Tribes Missions. And it was very fascinating work. They were cracking languages, um, learning the languages, and then translating the Bible. And what I was shocked about is what they did is once they translated the Bible, they then taught the people the Bible beginning with Genesis. I'm like, what are you doing? Get to John. Teach John first. They need to know about Jesus. Because I didn't know Jesus is in Genesis. I didn't know what they knew. That not only did they need to start at the beginning to see that Jesus was there at the creation of mankind, but that if they didn't and they jumped right to the Gospel of John, guess what the Senegalese did? Because they tried it. They just added Jesus to all their other gods. But when they started in Genesis and they saw the creation, fall, redemption, the thread that Jesus is in every book of the Bible, then they were shaped by Christianity. And they were able to take off all the other gods that were enslaving them. And this is our study. We get all of this. Day one and day two is creation and fall. It's going to be the beginning of the feast, the backstory, if you will. And then in days four and five, you're going to get into the New Testament and how Jesus fulfilled the feast and what they mean for us today and how we can celebrate the promises, how we, in light of the cross, can taste and see that the Lord is good. But we must not forget this is one book. This is one book. It is about Jesus. There are threads that run through it threads that run through the Bible that pull together that story of redemption, and feasting is one of them. We feast in Genesis, we feast in Revelation, and we feast all the way through because we taste and we see that the Lord is good. So feasting is, is unfamiliar to us. Is, is, this type of study is unusual for us, and feasting is unfamiliar. It is because it is both unusual and unfamiliar that this study, I'm going to be honest, is challenging and exciting. This study is filled with history and math, and I am good at neither. <laughs> I will be the most challenged among you. Working on this, I, Jeff was in the other room listening to the news, baseball, anything. I'm going like this. Because I'd rather be shaped by something I don't have to work hard on, right? Amen. I have to focus. I have to concentrate. I have to do small bites, not do it all on Wednesday. And I want to encourage you to don't, don't get bogged down. Because there it is, there it, we are going through, we are pulling up a thread, and that is harder work. Ask God for the big picture to come into play. Stand back, see the big picture. Guess what feast means in Hebrew? Joyous dance. It means to twirl. So if you start to get bogged down, step back. And just twirl for a minute. If this is all strange and unfamiliar to you, the feasts of Israel, know it is strange and unfamiliar to us all. <laughs> Those of us who have known the Lord for 35 years and known the Lord for 35 minutes, none of us really know about the feasts. We've not been taught about them. This is level playing field. This is not going to be easy for any of us. Don't let any Bible study girls in this room fool you. We are all lost together. These feasts are not only unfamiliar to us as Westerners, but as contemporary Christians, because we don't often teach the Old Testament. 
We tend to neglect it, and we are missing so much of who Jesus is. But the good news of this is, is what an opportunity to be shaped in a fresh way by God's goodness for his glory and our joy. I love what one of our morning leaders said. She said, you know, I'm so excited to do something different. I feel like every Bible study is the same thing. And I opened this up, and it's like, this is really different. I said, that is great. You're doing the intro message. I love that. It is new. It is different. But wow, what an opportunity to be shaped in a fresh way by God's goodness. It is unusual. It's unfamiliar. But it is an unending feast. If we remain consistent, seeking to taste the Lord, you too, like me, will wish you had learned this a long time ago. This study will change the way you see your very favorite book of the Bible that you always want to keep restudying. It will, it will come alive in a brand new way. Rick Shepard, again from our study, says, but if you only look at the place settings, you will walk away hungry. If you pull up a chair with us together, we will satisfy the hungers of our soul. The celebrations of the feasts, because they are the celebrations of all we have in Jesus, Ladies, they promise to shape you. And guess what happens when you're shaped? It will change how you embrace all those dates on the calendar, both the ones you love and the ones you dread. I had the privilege this week of seeing a premiere, a sneak preview of the movie To Joey with Love. Have any of you heard of it? It's really a documentary. Oh, wow. Take a box, not just a packet of Kleenex. It is a story of Rory and Joey Feek. Christian, um, Christian, a very strong believing couple, um, country music artists. Height of their career, they decide to take a year off and risk their career because Joey is pregnant and they want to take off a year to simplify their life and celebrate the anticipation of a new baby. That year they took off, they said we, they knew God was going to do something great because they knew it was him that asked them to take the year off and so they did. And that year brought a baby with Down syndrome named Indiana. And when Indiana was only 11 weeks old, that year brought the discovery of what would be an incurable cancer for Joey. She would die. And the documentary, he did, they just did it to show the celebration of their, of their one year for themselves. They never intended it to be a movie, but they continued to, to chronicle as they walked through grieving and loving this baby with Down syndrome, as they walked through facing death, and they never wavered in their celebration of life. They wept and they grieved, but they celebrated. They knew who Jesus was. They knew the promises that these feasts of Israel point to, and they danced till the very end of Joey's life. Their story is a legacy to last throughout the years. And there are Joeys in this room. I know many of you. I've been privileged to know your journeys. And I've seen how those dates on the calendar have been transformed because you celebrate Jesus. Wedding dates of marriages that have ended, Thanksgivings with empty chairs, holidays in the midst of de debt and disease. But rather than walk away hungry, your soul has been satisfied even in those difficult days because you have celebrated who Jesus is, and the promises that are fulfilled through these feasts. So today, a chair waits for you. Will you be shaped? Imagine what can happen if we come together 
if we each week pull up a chair with our questions, with our excitements, if together we would seek God, what kind of new day, what kind of new people can we be changed for sure? So it is my prayer that this will be a party, that there will be a party going on right here, that it will be a celebration that will last throughout the years, that our lives will be a dedication to the Lord throughout the years. So it's time to come together. It's up to you. What's your? <laughs> Everyone around the world, come on. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you did create us out of and for your love. Give us a greater glimpse of what that means, that we were created through celebration and that being a new creation in Jesus is a celebration we can't even imagine and is taking us to a celebration that is going to blow our minds. I pray, Father, for your glory and our good. Uh, this would be, there would be a party going on right here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you all stand with me? Let's all stand together. I love it. Let's celebrate. <laughs>